0: This episode of the Gondrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by COVA, the leading compliant point-of-sale suite for cannabis retailers and delivery services. COVA was developed to address the needs of retail businesses in California, Colorado, Washington, and Canada. COVA integrates with state traceability systems, such as Metric and Leaf, as well as a wide variety of other business tools, such as Baker, Spring Big, and iHeartJane. Kova also has built-in compliance features, such as looping alerts when purchase limit is exceeded, automated sales tax, and instant age verification with ID scanning. Discover the next evolution of cannabis retail software today at
1: kovasoftware.com. Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfalt, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of Gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by Tom Howard. He's a cannabis industry attorney based in Illinois and the author of Satan's Smoke and the Case of U.S. versus Urbis, which are historical fiction uh, sort of reads, um, which we'll talk about. Uh, But before we do that, I want to get to know about you. How'd you get involved in the cannabis space?
0: Uh, how did I get involved in the cannabis space? I guess, you know, I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school, college, and I uh, came by cannabis. And then, you know, uh, you you don't really, everybody kind of grows up and they just take things for as they come. And so they don't really question them. So by the time I got to law school, when I was uh, in my mid-20s, you know, then you're learning about laws. And I'm like, well, what's what's behind this, uh, this marijuana stuff? And I started looking into that. And it blew my mind. I mean, just from like a legal standpoint of how, and also I, w- I was a history major in college, so uh, this, the extent of just this whitewashing of truth just to ram a government policy that they wanted down uh, the entire population and uh, and then would just plug their ears to any facts and just close their eyes to any facts that would say that they're wrong, which was just amazing. Like, have uh, you ever heard of, uh, what is it, it's Part F of the Controlled Substances Act?
1: What, what specifically does that talk about?
0: That's the one where, like, in order to get the Democrats to go along with it, they actually had to shoehorn this thing onto the CSA, the Controlled Substances Act, that has marijuana Schedule One. So they commissioned a study. It became the Schaefer uh, Report that came out in the early 1972 that said, oops, we got it wrong on marijuana, it should actually be decriminalized, and didn't give a shit. Yeah. And so there was an entire schedule, uh, or part, F, of the Controlled Substances Act to study marijuana and determine its proper classification. Yes, yes. And that study said, oops, decriminalize it, and they never did. That was 1972. So I always think marijuana legalization is like right around the corner, and when I get really excited, I remember that.
1: Well, I, I, there, I do want to talk to you a little bit later on about the about the federal case, uh, you know, that that recently occurred. But but before that, I want to talk to you about federal policy, man. Um, let's start first with the will they or won't they current federal policy. Um, you know, last year's sessions were since the Cole Memo. Uh, there's no crackdown, but obviously people are worried. Uh, Trump, you know, just a couple weeks ago at this point, maybe even less, uh, vowed to protect the programs, you know, following his row with uh, Senator Cory Gardner uh, over him blocking Justice Department uh, nominees. In your opinion, you know, with with this sort of wishy washy federal policy, how worried should cannabis industry operators be? about federal crackdown
0: uh, about federal crackdown you see I don't think they should be all that uh, worried about it but that's only because it's political suicide and it's become so popular and so widespread now that uh, it, it just looks like it to take an action would be a very untenable position
1: so we, we also have uh The financial fine send protections, uh, which, you know, the agency released a a sort of directive saying, you know, we're we're not going to crack down on state legal on on financial institutions that are doing business with state legal cannabis producers. Um, Despite this, several banks have pulled out of the space. Um, Why do you think banks are so sketched out when they have this federal protection from the agency that enforces uh, their regulations.
0: A lot of banks pride themselves on being uh, very conservative lending institutions and employing safe and sound banking principles. Uh, in my, my practice, uh, besides doing marijuana, I pretty much exclusively represent uh, banks in, in high commercial finance. And so the reason for that is because technically all of it is money laundering. So you are going to try to put the bank in a position to say it's a safe and sound banking practice to always engage in money laundering, which of course it's not. And and that's one of the reasons why they don't. And then not only that, uh, Jeff Sessions' memo from uh, January of this year kind of surprised everybody and Including FinCEN which uh, FinCEN is the Department of the Treasury and the Department of Justice of course is a separate one and so what happened was on uh, January 4th Sessions revokes uh, the Cole memo and all these other memos. that T said rescind but still it basically means you terminate it and uh, then he threw into disarray the FinCEN guidance that expressly relied upon the Cole memo. So now you have some guidance that's expressly relying upon something that doesn't exist anymore because it's been rescinded. So they were really nice and they got flooded with emails and they returned mine and they said that they are still respecting the FinCEN guidance from 2014. Then uh, you you turn to more federal developments with Trump, you know, promising Gardner that he's not going to uh, step up enforcement. Now it depends on what you say. Step up enforcement. Now that's why it was out of Colorado because they have full legalization, full adult use. I mean, regulated. It's it's the proper. Uh, it's it's what you should do if you were actually regulating the thing in accordance with the original federal study on it. Which gets back to the CSA. It's hilarious. They regulated marijuana, Congress did, in 1970, without knowing what it did. So they said it was like heroin. And then they did the study after they equated it to heroin, but they never listened to the results of the study. It's, it's terrible. But uh, schedule 524, or something like that, of the budget, every year has defunded the war on medical marijuana. So the Department of Justice and Jeff Sessions, no money, no matter what his memo says, to go after uh, the medical marijuana Businesses, however, that doesn't apply to the full legalization, of course. So, in theory, Jeff Sessions does have some money to go after uh, the people in Colorado that are doing full adult use, and that's why Cory Gardner was holding up uh, Department of Justice nominees until he got that tacit approval from the Donald Trump that he's not going to uh, enforce the law, which in theory he could. He has the money to do it.
1: So, so with, you know, sort of this, again, wishy washy federal policy, you know, that's, that's where we're at right now. Do you think that cannabis industry operators should be considering moves toward cryptocurrencies or cashless card based based systems? And what are the pros and cons of making this adjustment?
0: Well, the cryptocurrency markets are uh, extremely volatile uh, because you have to convert it into and out of dollars to be able to pay your vendors and whatnot. So, you know, if you've seen the price of Bitcoin, it went from zero to 20,000, and now it's, what, half that, a little less than half of that. And so there's a lot of manipulation in those types of currencies. So you, because you have to get them into and out of dollars, and that dollars create a problem in the sense that if you got a rack and buy like that, I mean $10,000 with like a little band around it, uh, you have to watch out for those things because that triggers what they call a suspicious activity report for the bank. And that bank then has to kind of log it. You know, it's it, and then, of course, it also gets into the, uh, the Patriot Act because it was a Patriot guy trying to just stop a lot of that terrorism and terrorism deals in cash. So this cash doesn't you can't trace it. You know, that's one of the nice things about cash. So you have all those those problems that are going on. And uh, uh, I can't even remember what the question was.
1: If you think that industry operators should move towards a cryptocurrency or cashless card-based system. The the
0: cryptocurrency, no. The cashless card-based system, yes, because the cashless card-based system, uh, you are still using cash. It's just that you're setting up a cash-free ATM, and then you solve the cash problem, right? You don't want to have cash. You want an account with a ledger that just says, you know, know, have you checked your bank account lately online? It's kind of nice, right? And you can send money to and from places pretty cool it's a lot easier to do that than it is with cash but the marijuana businesses are having problem getting to that point so if you did a cashless uh you know one of those cashless card systems uh, and let's say your your cultivation centers i'm not sure how regulated every every different state is but here we kind of cleave it between cultivation and dispensary um, and you know, each one is going to have different vendors and different uh, payments that they'd have to pay. But if they could get it on a system, or the best thing that I would recommend is you get the the cashless ATM plus a PEO. Now, in Illinois, the only bank I think is closed and kicking people out on, on May 21st. So now you you have a, a real problem in the sense that where do you get a bank account? So are these bank accounts gonna be opened at a bank that's more amenable, say in like Colorado? You know, and then you have a dispensary in Illinois trying to use a Colorado bank account. That can create some issues, unless of course you only do it in kind of cash-free, so you don't accept any cash, so you never have to make any of those deposits. You know, it's just all being run from your cash-free ATM through your PEO into your uh, accounts that are in, in in Denver. Now, let's go over this because that's money laundering on money laundering on so much freaking money laundering. Because, I mean, you're talking about really moving uh, sch- a trafficking in the Schedule one substance uh, and then turning it into a ledger, so like getting around the cash problem, and then shipping it interstate. I mean, it's uh, – but they're being put in this position, because, I mean, how else are you? I, I wouldn't want to do business in straight cash. I mean, I would need to buy more safes, right? <laughs> and that's one of the problems. I mean, you'll hear, how, have you heard about dispensaries getting knocked over or like robbed, you know? Yeah, of course. Why are they getting robbed? Because that's where the money is. You know, it's, it hasn't changed since the 30s. I can't remember what gangsters said. You know, why do you rob banks? That's where the money is.
1: So you, you mentioned, you know, sort of one of the problems in Illinois that the banks are shutting down, uh, they're, they're shutting down access for cannabis companies. Um, and before we went live, you were sort of talking to me about, you know, uh, what's what's really preventing, uh, you know, legalization from taking hold in Illinois this has, through the ballot initiative like it has uh, you know, all over the place. What's, what's going on? Like, explain what's, what's going on in Illinois.
0: All right. Illinois has got an interesting constitution from 1970, right? And so uh, it does not allow for direct questions to be on the ballot to impact laws. Uh, unless they're extremely isolated to one particular provision of the Illinois Constitution. And I think it mostly has to do with like procedural crap. So nothing substantive like, hey, should we legalize marijuana? Yes or no. Uh, those types of ballot initiatives you don't have. But this fall, this November, the people have put a question, a non-binding referendum, let's call it. You can get a non-binding referendum on the ballot, which is great, because then you can take the pulse of the, uh, the electorate and it doesn't matter at all. Um, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> hey, 68% of people like, well, why don't we just put like the Pepsi challenge on there? You know, because if it's not... <laughs>
1: So 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 the people vote and then and then the so then it would still be up to the legislature to decide if they want to follow, I guess, that recommendation of the people.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's a representative democracy. You know, it's a republic, I guess. And then so uh, now they'll know the people's the the Democratic, the Democratic opinion directly. And they'll be like, yeah, maybe we should do this. And uh, of course, right now, it doesn't matter. Like uh, your medical card. In Illinois, it's about three months from me you to drop it in the mail until you uh, drop your application in the mail until you get your card in the mail. It's about three months. So, you know, the governor has made sure that that stays like that. And the governor's not going to sign any legalization, even if the, the people said it, he'd probably still try to veto him. However, we have a, an election in November and Rauner is extremely uh, unpopular. And this other billionaire is called J.B. Pritzker is running against him. And he's uh, a more likable billionaire, to be honest.
1: Are, is he pro-legalization? Have, have the gubernatorial candidates made their uh, opinions known?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I liked him on Facebook. And, like, you know, he publishes all of his – because he's a he's billionaire. He, so he's got his little uh, promotional stuff everywhere. On one of the ads that I saw was him supporting marijuana legalization. So in theory, uh, Illinois – that's why I said it was kind of starting to pop here – uh, it's been installed, but it's it's gotten far enough along where people know that it works, and people go to um, uh, you know uh, Colorado for trips in winter and all that stuff. So there's been enough tourism, can of tourism, so people know. And then if that uh, if what happens in the fall is the referendum is like sixty seventy percent, you know it doesn't matter. I'd be more likely to vote for something that doesn't matter, right? You know, you don't even have to think about the consequences. You don't even have to think about the children. It's hypothetical. It's not. <laughs> <fair. laughs> and so uh, you get you get sixty or seventy percent of the people that says, yeah, we should legalize. You get JB Pritzker in the office. Uh, then we might be able to see a bill that has a legitimate shot of passing the Illinois house and being signed by the governor and then going into law. But you still have to understand the lag times on that, the latency period. I mean, Colorado just didn't pass the law. And then tomorrow you were able to buy your marijuana. You know, you have to lay the foundations.
1: Well, in Maine, it's it's not even going to take effect until three years nearly. Wow. So, so- so I wanted I want to talk to you uh, a bit about you know patients' rights. Um You know, you are an attorney. (laughs) That's sort of the thing that you know you're an expert in. Um, When cannabis laws are enacted, professional boards often uh, have to issue opinions to allow members of that profession, lawyers, for example, to operate in the state or risk penalty in in the state program. Uh, However, employers in general do not make exceptions for patients. You know, meaning they still get drug tested. They pop positive. They they get fired. And in many states, you know, this is the case. what rights do patients have in medical states when it comes to employment, and, and can we look to any of the legal decisions of the last few years? There was one in Massachusetts uh, specifically that I'm thinking about uh, as precedent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There have been a couple out of the uh, the uh, New England area that did kind of uh, say that there are some rights. However, what you have to do is look at your state's law first. Start to look at the state's law because those cases that came down, um, I believe they were by an administrative law because if, if maybe like one of those employer relation boards or something. And uh, the opinions from those looked at the state's laws themselves to determine the rights that the patients had. Some states have more rights than other states. Florida's medical marijuana law for patients, very bad. Uh, Illinois is actually not bad at all. It tries to do both. It tries to protect both the employer's right to have a drug-free workplace, but also the, employer, the patient's right to not be discriminated against solely because they're a cannabis patient. And uh, that's one of the reasons why you really have to kind of read the law, see what it says, and then if you do think that you have rights, then you can make your claim. And you know those cases have been already you know brought and made out uh, in the New England area. Maybe uh, maybe more will come in Illinois. Maybe one of the reasons why it hasn't is because there's only about uh, thirty thousand card holders here so far. But uh, yeah, you have to look at your, your your state's law, and there is some protection sometimes from being discriminated against solely for using or having a cannabis card. But, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of say one way or the other, any definitive uh, binary answer.
1: So well, how, how do those two things jive? The fact that how do you protect both businesses and patients?
0: Well, you say a law can say anything you want it to say (laughs) but uh you know that 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 kind of is a glib answer but at the same time it's what the law actually provides and it's trying to do that and there there, it seems like these two pieces of law can't be read at the same time uh, and be both carried out but uh there's a lot of arguments that says yes no they 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 can actually both be carried out at the same time and we can try to protect both the rights of the employer and the employee to to the extent that they have now um I mean, think about it. If the employer doesn't have the benefit, if there is, if it's drafted in the law that you can't discriminate against uh, medical marijuana patients solely because they have their, they're a patient and the medical marijuana patient, you know, mentions or something that they they have that and the boss just goes, oh, I hate cannabis patients, you're fired. Maybe it's not going to be like that, but you know, there might be certain facts about it that it shows, well, no, you, you only did this because I was a cannabis patient. Maybe then you would actually have some rights, but that's when you would need to talk to uh, your your plaintiff employment attorney. Uh,
1: so so move, moving on a little bit, you know, we're trying to get to a lot of things in in one in, in one sitting here. Um I, I tell me about your books, man. Why did you decide to write historical fiction? You know, you're you're obviously an educated guy. Uh, you're an attorney. You know, why'd you focus on the historical fiction rather than, you know, writing a fact-based book?
0: Oh yeah, that's that's because I wanted them to win in the end. You see, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, a lot of the history of it, like, you have to get back into the 30s and marijuana, I mean, the history of marijuana and trying to find the historical record. You know, it's not like it's the Declaration of Independence. It's something that they've tried to, like, kind of bury as much as they can. So uh, it's hard to, to track down those types of records, and then you can you can turn it more into a, more of a narrative, something that's more compelling. Uh, for example, like, do we really know that uh, the yellow journalism was caused because Hearst, I, was it Hearst, I think? Somebody, some newspaper baron bought all this uh, farmland and was kinda like, you know, leveraged to the hilt, and then cannabis was gonna take his, uh, well, drink his milkshake, if we're gonna borrow that phrase from, uh, there will be blood. So is that or is that just more like, you know, a historical hokum? Uh, There's those aspects. But then there's the the normal case, which is something that I call it, and the normal case isn't one case. It's a case that normal's basically been waging for the past 40-plus years, and one of them was just dismissed. It was good. It was a great, uh, very nice complaint. It was huge. I can't remember the name of all the plaintiffs off the top of my head right now. I know one of them was related. NFL because of uh, brain damage
1: right you're talking you're talking about the the Alex Bortelli case mm. or Bortel I believe it is okay,
0: there there you go well,
1: that was mo- mo-
0: fairly recently dismissed I believe just a couple months ago or something
1: yeah so I mean your books you you know Satan smoke and and uh versus which I'm going to refer to as versus the full title is the case of U.S. versus your Boss so, so they, they both cover distinct errors one covers you know the prohibition error and then the other covers sort of the present you know and versus actually makes a similar argument to this recent federal court case um, yeah, it's exactly the same and the, the only difference is the, the reason why that recent court case and
0: why it had to be historical fiction is because I want them to win as opposed to like and we failed to exhaust administrative remedies yay I mean that's just so frustrating because that that, that happens all the time and that's why I call it the normal case this was its most recent incantation, and it was dismissed. And there was cases before this, and there'll be a case again. And trying to exhaust this administrative process is you know, exhausting, let's say.
1: Well, and I mean, the way that they lay it out, the way that they laid it out in that case was, I mean, it... it... They showed everybody who's ever attempted to take this issue of controls of, of the CCA scheduling of cannabis to the DEA and showing them, you know, in one case, it took nine years just to get a denial. Nine years for a denial. I know, right? So, so what was your reaction when the judge tossed it? Because let me tell you, I, I'm not a lawyer. Um, I, I do... You know, I do fancy myself as somebody who who does understand sort of legalese and and the law and the process a little bit better, uh, just because I'm sort of passionate about it. Um, and I. <laughs> I, I had hope. I mean, I knew it was misplaced hope when I had that hope. But but I was like, I was like, but it's it, everything's laid out there. And, and it seems like, you know, they're in they're in a decent court. You know, it was I think it was the what, Ninth Circuit in, in New York.
0: Friendly court. Friendly court. That's the one where the U.S. versus McIntosh case came and they were able to establish the uh, the right to toss Department of Justice's cases against solely medical because of the, uh, the st- section of the budget that defunds them. That was a pretty sweet case from a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then and so just some of the, you know, the arguments they were making was like, this is one of the most comprehensive, you know, I mean, if you want to if you want to read a book about, you know, the, the history of prohibition. I mean, look no further than the brief that was filed in, in that in that case. So as an attorney, what was your reaction when the judge tossed it to, were, you know, were you sort of like, ah, oh, that was expected, you know, cause they did allow pieces of it to go forward in the beginning that again, gave you this sort of hope
0: right right and so exactly I wasn't all that uh surprised that the administrative process was yet again not exhausted but at the same time you know it, i have more optimism with each each time they do get to that stage again eventually a judge will just kind of say all right cut the crap everybody this is clearly a chicanery it has no rational basis to the the sensible regulation of the commerce of marijuana what are you doing here and then clearly why is it all based on these racist lies from the 30s i mean what do you what do you guys doing but Uh, judges don't like to draw lines because of the separation of powers issue. So any freaking reason that the judge can not make a ruling as to the constitutionality of the marijuana laws, they're going to take that out.
1: What are the constitutional arguments to be made against prohibition?
0: Uh, well, the one that we're talking about right now, a lot of them have to do with your due process rights to not have, I mean, it, it's arbitrary government and the government makes like literally no sense. So that's more of your, uh, your fifth amendment due process, right? to Be free from that. But, um, uh, that is extremely difficult because there's various standards of scrutiny for striking down a statute, and you're just basically trying to strike down the the Schedule One uh, substance of cannabis. You're trying to do what the uh, Schaefer study uh, said you should have done. You should have done, and then you're trying to do what Congress should have done uh, in the first place: was study the darn thing before it regulated it. But no, I mean that would have been harder to then establish this this rational basis, and so. There's various standards of scrutiny for the uh, striking down um, uh, 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 laws. I can't recall them off the top of my head now because you know I've learned other law. But um, uh, commercial regulations like marijuana is the lowest one, and it's got like a 99% failure rate. And so you try to shoehorn a little bit of the racial animus into it by doing a rational basis with bite test, which is kind of a thing. It's also a very low probability event, but uh, they didn't even get to it. I didn't get to it they didn't even address it and that they don't know that they don't address it the court didn't address it of just makes you still have hope that it's actually legit you know and they're just trying to do a little bit more time and maybe if they just keep delaying a few more years congress will finally strike a line through the controlled substances act solely where it says cannabis that's it you have to. I mean, the the bill is extremely thin, right? You know, be it a law that passes that you know changes the Controlled Substances Act, so this A sub one B four, whatever, wherever the line cannabis is, it's just red line through
1: it. And w- when it comes to the, the the Controlled Substances Act, are you are you a proponent of? Descheduling or rescheduling, and, you know, for, for people who don't understand the difference, you know, rescheduling would keep it on the, the CSA.
0: No, just I, I'm, I, like I just said, strike a line through it, deschedule that stuff, because then you allow the states to do it. Now, the fun thing is, hey, pro tip here, man. Uh, back in 1969, marijuana became federally legal for a couple of years. It's actually what, and I'm going to apologize for using this verb, fomented the uh, uh, Controlled Substances Act because uh, I guess it was the case of U.S. v. Leary. Yeah, that guy, Tim Leary. And so uh, the the previous law was the Marijuana Tax Stamp Act, and that created a Fifth Amendment like self-incrimination, uh, Catch-22. So the high court struck it. And for a couple of years, it was federally legal, or at least there was federally silent, let's say. There was no law on it, but it didn't matter because in every state, Marijuana was a crime in 1969 until the effect of Controlled Substances Act, which I think was 1971. But uh, we can have the inverse of that now. We would strike it and have again no federal policy, like we did back in 69 to 71. But uh, we would have all these state policies. 44 states, I believe, uh, have medical marijuana. Several more have adult use. And if Schedule One is no longer a thing banking can be accessed because there's no more money laundering the way that all these crimes are defined. It doesn't say marijuana. It says schedule one substance. That's it.
1: That's, I mean, just, just having your insight in, into sort of the, the history, the, the actual legal history, how, how much, you know, when, when you sat down to write Yurbis specifically versus, um, you know, how deep did you dig to sort of come up with these, you know, these these arguments or, or were these arguments that were sort of plodding around in your head, you know, as you're studying law?
0: Yeah, no, no. They, OK. So when I was in law school, as was a shitty student. I never went to school. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I wrote, I wrote two other books in law school and then I got uh, into private practice. And this is the book that I wrote in my first year of private practice before I went to Howard and Howard and became a bank attorney. Um, sophisticated banking attorney. Uh, and so in my first year, I did a lot of this research and wrote uh, Yervis. And uh, you research it as much as you can. I mean, like, so you are learning uh, you try to get the entire historical record historical record as, be- as best as you can wrench it out of the internet. You know, how, how much do we trust the internet, right? <laughs> and then, uh, I'm not kidding. I mean, a like Google Scholar really helped. I mean, uh, at least you could be doing uh, case law research, but there is a case uh, and it has to do with the and I think I can't find it because it was probably an administrative law judge. But you remember like Irv Rosenfeld and the federal marijuana patients.
1: I, I'm not familiar with that one now.
0: So you've never heard that there was actually a federal medical marijuana policy uh, from 1978 through 1991. And there's still like four living patients.
1: Oh, yeah. You're talking about the people who get like federal joints mailed to their house. Federal
0: joints mailed to them, guys. That's right. Yes. That was a case. And then you actually had a federal policy in the FDA doing this, you know, uh, what do they call it? IND or something. There was an innovative, you know, they're trying to do research to determine whether or not marijuana has any medical use. And they it, it worked. Uh, and so some of the people are still alive. But that's just how crazy the whole thing gets i mean and how convoluted you know you're saying one thing and you're treating all these people one way and then you're saying another thing and you're treating these people a different way what the heck is it and then they shut it down in the 90s and that's when you had medical marijuana start to go into the states uh california specifically first
1: so man where can people find out more about you Where can they buy your books like you know t- t- tell us tell us where to find you
0: yeah man go to a cannabis industry lawyer on youtube uh, you can go to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com backslash free THC. Uh, so F R E E T H C. THC, that should take you to our Facebook page. And, um, after that, you'll be able to Google Tom Howard marijuana. I'll come up.
1: Well, it's, it's really been great to, to chat with you, man. Um, you know, I really, you know, want to keep in touch, you know, see, see what you got going on. Um, you know, maybe if I ever make it out to uh, Illinois, I'll, I'll check in on you
0: yeah yeah and if i'm gonna because I, I mean i would love to go out to the out in the new england area especially vermont i've never been out there i hear it's beautiful you just said it you
1: know oh the green mountains man the green mountains and and uh you know burlington's around lake champlain so you you can see all the way across new york it's a uh, it's an interesting place burlington vermont and and you know we just passed uh our own legalization not we the legislature actually did it um you know, so we'll at least be able to grow a little bit and, you know, possess without fear of being arrested. So that's, that's good. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, cool. Thanks so much for having me on. I really had a great time. Absolutely, man. appreciate it. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you'll find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault.